Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker, down the lane, drives, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz was only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN 730, right here on atthehive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan, and we are live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, joined by Justin Thomas. He covers the Charlotte Hornets for ESPN 730. Justin, welcome back. You know, I'm not too happy that you're like really upbeat and positive. <laughs> I was really coming in here ready to Listen, bring the hammer. I am even keel. I would fit right in, I think, with this Hornets That's roster no and coaching staff. I am very hard to uh, knock off. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very even keel. I, I keep a cool head about things. I'm calm. We have a great show coming up. We've got Justin Verrier from espn.com he's been covering this series from the hornets angle he'll be here at 6:15, and then a, a show favorite adi joseph deputy editor at sporting news will be on later around 6 35 6 40 we'll talk to him about this nick batum news and about this uh, conversation that's going around about steve clifford's press conference steve clifford had some very interesting things to say about all of these adjustments, and that's what the show's uh, title t- uh, tonight is called, hashtag adjustments, that uh, some of these reporters have been asking him about. He did it, he, well, he was very respectful. As but, always. Right. He's, he's always very genuine, very respectful, but it was, it was very interesting. We've got the clip. We'll play the clip, and we'll ask Adi Joseph, who's been around the Hornets all season, so he, he definitely knows what Clifford's all about. Hey, you can listen to us live every Tuesday and Thursday. We're getting close to the end of this season, but we've got several shows left, including something that I'm very excited about. Uh, it, it, it will happen eventually. I don't know when, because we have to wait for these playoffs to play out, but our season recap show is coming up. Both uh, Justin and David will be involved in that, and we'll relive some of the memories from this season. It's going to be a great time. Uh, but again, Tuesdays, Thursdays, right here, 6 o'clock p.m., HiveTalkLive.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. And with that, we say, let's swarm Charlotte. Before we recap Game 2 or look ahead to Game 3 in Charlotte, we have to update you on some news. Nick Batum injury news. Of course, he injured his left ankle, that same ankle that he injured almost two weeks ago against Boston. He re-injured it in Game 2, turned that left ankle. Chris Haynes on Twitter uh, from Cleveland.com, he's an NBA insider for Cleveland.com, reporting uh, that Nick Batum is expected to miss the rest of the first round against the Heat League sources telling Cleveland.com Nick Batum expected to miss the rest of the first round. Also in this report, the x-rays revealed no fracture. So, Justin, no fracture. That means long-term could could be good. You you don't want to see a fracture because that's going to be a a long road to recovery, but a, a second straight sprain. I mean, that's a little bit concerning, I think. I wouldn't I wouldn't press the panic button. Um, you know, just a lingering injury that occurred late in the season and it just came at probably the worst time that it could happen, which has sidelined him for the season and possibly Charlotte's hopes of uh, you know, trying to win this series. But, you know, it's 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 just bad timing. Last year, I mean excuse me, not last year, the previous time we didn't play the Bobcats, ago, yeah. Big Al, he gets hurt and it's like does I've always wondered, like, does the injury bug have a personal beef with the Charlotte franchise? Because just when things are looking good and Charlotte gets some hope and people are getting behind the team, the injury bug strikes. And, you know, 
it is it has no specific victim. It goes out there anybody. Yeah, Al Jefferson with the the plantar uh, fasciitis injury to his foot uh, that kept him uh, out of that Miami series. And then if you go back, I believe Stack Jack Stephen Jackson was ailing in uh, that first round sweep that the Bobcats took to the Orlando Magic. I never heard that one before. That's that was the nickname. That was Stack Jack. Stack Jack. That's not bad. I like Captain that one. Jack. People said okay, that as I have well. Heard you Captain heard that Jack. one, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, Stack Jack as well. I think was a. That's my. I like that one better. More I'm not into. I'm not into Navy nicknames. Uh, but let's get back to this Batum injury. The question, obviously, who replaces him in the lineup? But Justin, I see a couple of options here. You can, and these are things that the Hornets have done this season because Batum has missed several games with uh, toe injuries and ankle injuries. You can either start Lynn. You can start Frank and move Courtney Lee to the two and Marvin to the three, or you could even go deeper and, and play somebody like Lamb, although I think that would probably be the the long shot odds in this because Lamb hasn't played at all in this series, so that would be a stretch to bring somebody who hasn't been in the rotation at all and immediately elevate them to the level of starter. Where do you see this going? I think you start, Lynn. To be honest, I would take that shot. You know, either Lamb or Troy Daniels, because from what I've seen in two games, Frank Kaminsky, he's he's not really he's not prepared for this type of basketball right now. And you could say the same thing about Troy Daniels and Jeremy Lamb, but at least those guys can shoot. Now, the issue with those guys has been defense. Um, and even with Lynn, you start Lynn. Dwayne Wade has been taking his lunch. Like there's. Yeah, that's the, so the issue with starting Lynn alongside Kemba Walker is that you really give up a lot of size because Miami, they bring size on the wing positions with uh, not only, uh, I mean, Goran Dragic and Kemba, that's a, that's a pretty even matchup, but with Wade, with Justice Winslow, and then uh, um, Josh Richardson is, is a tall, strong guard who can play both guard positions. So all of those mismatches in terms of size – and then, as you said, Frank Kaminsky, only one shot attempt uh, is struggling to recover on Ding or Justice Winslow when they go super small. He, he's just struggling to close out. And, uh, you know, I thought he did a little better job on defense. He, he knew a little bit where he was supposed to be. But again, he's just struggling to close out. He's, and he's just not strong enough to bang down low for good rebounding opportunities. Uh, that one shot attempt that he had, he was mashed up against Winslow got the ball over the top, you're trying to use that size advantage over Winslow, but then Stoudemire immediately helped over and he couldn't fight through Stoudemire to finish and didn't pass out. You know, it can't be that easy to stop his offense, Mm-mm. you know, if, if you look to play him further. And look, I respect Steve Clifford for saying that, that Frank is out there and he's providing space. But if I took a look at the tape and Winslow and Ding are not giving him that respect on the three-point line in the catch-and-shoot opportunities – they're they're just they're giving that up and they're able to cheat down because you know I looked at the Hornets in that game and and I think they're they're not I don't think they fully trust passing the ball to Frank right now they don't I when Frank gets the ball you can tell he doesn't even want it when the, when the ball gets in his hands he's like okay I, I got to get it out hot potato hot potato it's it's completely different basketball. He stayed in college for four years and played at a high level. Well, in the regular season, is... we haven't seen this in the regular season. He's played yeah. confidently I'm at done. different points Playoff in the regular season. Playoff basketball is it's a different. different animal. It's a different, it's a different beast. beast. Because there, there were times you watch him, you watch him, like, after you watch Frank this entire year, you say, you know, I'm comfortable with Frank in the playoffs. Like, you know, he's a big guy. He can stretch the floor. Like, I'm confident what he can do. I watched him in game one. I was like, mm, I'm not going to bring down the hammer just yet. We're going to wait for day two. And then you see him out there, and it's like you can tell it's it's an adjustment. I, I like Frank as a player, but this stage right here, you can tell it's a little bit bigger than he expected. Well, okay, so we know Clifford is going to go four out, one in. So we know that it's just a matter of do you go small on the wings or small uh, out in your front court. So I don't I don't know I don't know what they're going to do. Either way, it's going to shake up the rotation. So you're going to see either Hawes or Lamb or possibly Troy Daniels be inserted into this rotation that was he had solidified an eight-man rotation and now all of that uh, has to uh, change because Nick Batum will miss the rest of this series I don't mind I don't mind Spencer Haas getting a crack at it I w- I'd like to see what I he thought can he played do. well in the fourth quarter yeah, um definitely you could tell he wanted to be out there 
Yeah. Because, you know, guys are competitive. But he's going to get beat. I mean, he's going to yeah. get beat by Dragic on the drive. He's going to get beat by Winslow. It's what, And that that's the thing that I think that fans, anyone watching the game has to understand that when you look at the options that Clifford has in, in, in the backside of his rotation, they're all – well, they're all options that have really bad negatives. They're and, and all so, liabilities. Right, exactly. And so you have to just pick one and live with it and, and then try to scheme the rest of your your rotation around those issues. If somebody could if somebody could hit some threes, you know, that, that gl- would help. I'm glad I'm glad you segue. <laughs> that would help. Because I think a lot of fans are, are watching this game and watching the past two games, and, and they see the Hornets in, in this last one. They shoot 6 of 17 from beyond the arc. and Or excuse me, in the first one, they shot 6 of 17. And then in the second, they shot 1 of 16. So in, in last night's game, they shoot 1 of 16 Ice from beyond cold. the arc. Where has the three-point shooting gone? And, and here's my best answer, okay? Miami is applying a lot of ball pressure, but... If Kimba is able, or Lynn, or if they're able to beat that ball pressure, they're not helping off the wing. So they're essentially seeding the middle of the floor and the lane to Kimba Walker or Jeremy Lynn. Now you'll see Hassan or, or Stoudemire be the last line of defense, but Kimba's got, we saw it a couple times, both Kimba and Lynn have the ability to use their dribble to make those two guys think and finish at the rim. But you you don't help off of, Frank, you don't help off of Marvin, and you basically take away any catch-and-shoot opportunities they have off the pick-and-roll. And then they're also switching any of the stretch pick-and-rolls with Frank Kaminsky, with Marvin Williams. So if those guys are involved in the pick-and-roll, they're immediately switching. And Justin, where do we see Marvin Williams and Frank Kaminsky get so many three open three-point opportunities? The pick-and-pop. So Miami came in and said, look, you want to beat us? You're not going to get the pick and pot. You're not going to get things that you've gotten all regular season. And the the question that then would come from that is, why did Miami choose to do this? And I think, Justin, it was to make Charlotte uncomfortable. because They're okay with giving Kimba looks at the rim. They're okay oh, yeah. with giving Al Jefferson one-on-one looks underneath the rim because they're making Charlotte uncomfortable. They're making them play a different style of basketball than they've played all season. They're making them work a little harder for baskets. And most importantly, they're making this team think. And when you're thinking, you're not in rhythm. Have you ever played, Justin, any of these uh, rhythm music games like Guitar Hero, Rock Bands? I was never any good. I I did try. I wasn't any good. I gave up. Well, that that's fine. Um, <laughs> like like any great musician, I I tried it and I gave up. Now, I, I, now if you think about any of these rhythm games, though, when you're at your best, you're not really thinking about it. You're just you're just strumming along, red, yellow, red, green, 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 red, yellow. But you're not thinking about it. But the moment that you look up and see that you've got like a hundred plus note streak going on, the moment that you think about that, bam, bam, you're done. You get out of your rhythm. And I think that that Miami's plan and they've executed it brilliantly on the defensive end was to make Charlotte think. Now, now here's the thing. If you mention offense to Clifford or anyone else, they'll say 1.07 points per possession. That's great. That's great offense. The Hornets have been able to score points. I agree with that. They've, they've done a great job of getting to the free throw line and, and manufacturing offense, but it's not the same kind of offense that's made no. this team successful. They're working hard for yeah. those points. They're working extremely hard. And I don't think people give credit um, whereas Deuce, Spoh's a really good coach. Like, he's a tactician. I've been saying he's a, he's a really tactician. good coach. Like I don't think people realize that because this this series should really be be tight, and it's been one sided through two games, and it's all because of Spo and, and on defense. They they are really Charlotte hadn't been comfortable. They haven't seen anything like this. And and, and I think when you're uncomfortable, it's so much harder for you to to gain confidence. And I think that confidence we've seen it in Marvin who we can we'll, we can talk about his issues a little later. But if you're uncomfortable, it's harder to be confident and I think that's leaked into the defense. So again, I, I don't I'm not saying the offense hasn't played well. I think they've played really well considering the circumstances considering what Miami has thrown at them defensively. What I think is that Miami's defensive plan has made them uncomfortable. And now we can see that uh, a lack of comfort, lack of confidence 
leaking into the defensive side of the ball where they can't seem to find you know any kind of of rhythm and it doesn't help that Miami just can't miss. I mean, we haven't even talked about that, that Miami started this ball game on fire. Because, you know, some some guys can get open looks, you know, and you're okay with it. But the difference is, not only are they open, they're hitting everything. All right, let's go out to the Hive Talk Live hotline. Standing by is Justin Verrier from ESPN.com. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, Justin, uh, how how was the commute from Miami to Charlotte for you? Uh, it's been nice, you know. I'm, I'm I used to live in LA, and so I'm from Connecticut originally. So I'm used to six hour flights. <laughs> uh, so the two hours is uh, is a little bit nicer. The no time change as well. Uh, so I got in here about noon, and I've been settling in in lovely downtown Charlotte, or is it uptown? You guys tell me. Well, I, I say both, but I guess more people like to call it uptown. It sounds nicer, yeah. It's like okay. it's unique. It makes our it, it's you, kind of our thing. You know, sadly we don't we don't have the the beautiful beaches, but we do. If you get the chance, we do have a live after five uh, at the epicenter. So if you get the chance, uh, you know, I, I think you should go out there and check it out. Have a, you know, have a good time out there. Justin, yeah, Justin, yeah, Justin just wants to hang out with another Justin. Don't let don't don't let him fool you. I mean, Justins are great <laughs> names. Justins are great names. So um, enough we about Miami and, and Charlotte and the, and the city. Since the Hornets are down 0-2. Um, game one was ugly. Game two, a little bit better. You know, they 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 fought and clawed, but came up short. What would you say plagued the Hornets in game two? You know, I'm starting to think it's me. Uh, you know, I cover <laughs> the Pelicans uh, year round, and uh, as you guys probably know, they haven't been too successful. A whole lot of uh, injuries going down there. Um, but yeah, I mean. It, but seriously, I think uh, defense has been obviously the big issue. Uh, I'm sure you guys heard uh, Steve Clifford's press conference yesterday. Oh yeah, uh, he is adamant. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was something. It was really interesting to be a part of it. Um, he is pretty adamant that you know it's just a defense sort of thing. Um, it seemed like he was kind of hinting at this might sort of be kind of law averages. They were kind of conceding some of the three pointers. I was going back and watching the tape, and yes, Steve, I, I do watch the tape occasionally. <laughs> um, and, you know, you could see some of these guys who were getting off for threes, the Goran Dragic, uh, Justice Winslow, man. You were watch- I was watching it today, and I was just like, I was amazed at some of the shots he was hitting considering uh, the season that he's had. Um, the offense, you know, th- at times it was a little stilted. I think you saw in that third quarter them pressing a little bit. I think they had like nine assists on 38 makes, and obviously the, the one made three-pointer for a team that kind of lives off of a three is bad, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would agree with him. The defense just like hasn't been there, or maybe just Miami is just you know too good on offense is a better way to say it. Justin, real quick, we just got the the news on Twitter from Chris Haynes and Cleveland dot com about Nick Batum. The report is he could he is going to miss the rest of the series versus Heat. How does his absence affect the Hornets here in the short term? He wasn't shooting the ball well in Game Two, but but how does that absence affect the Hornets as they return back to Charlotte? Yeah, you know, you you worry about this a little bit, and I think that was the worry after the game. You saw what uh, L. Jefferson said, what uh, Steve Clifford said. It didn't seem too good. Um, I, I, I've been kind of expecting uh, to not have Batum here going forward. I think the problem is uh, any team, you don't want to lose a starter, but a team that I think has kind of thrived off of being this sort of collective that doesn't necessarily have the superstar. Maybe Kemba and Nick are kind of the closest things to that, but also, just considering what they do, they you know the versatility they have on defense to be able to switch enough, um, the, the ability to kind of spread it out, play four out around a big. Uh, Nick's kind of key to that, you know. He's able to to switch on to maybe some of the some of the bigger guys. Marvin as well uh, kind of keys that sort of on a defensive end, um, and then just having that kind of other secondary ball handler, pick and roll type of initiator. Uh, I think you saw that I believe in game two toward the second half they went more toward. Nick running the offense or initiating the offense and with Kemba playing more off the ball, he just gives them, you know, I think he kind of symbolizes what they do in a lot of way. Maybe not the best three-point shooter in that starting unit, um, but he just has that versatility that I think they're looking for. And without him, I mean, it just makes a bad situation look even more grim. Marvin Williams and, and Jeremy Land guys that had really good years and for some odd reason, it didn't carry over to the playoffs. Marvin Williams can't buy a, can't buy a basket, and Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lin can guard a stick. They're back in Charlotte. They have two <laughs> two games at home. Do you do you see anything changing for these guys? And see maybe if the home cooking or something could change for these guys. 
With Marvin, I think so. Um, you, you'd have to imagine if the law of averages are, are favoring the Heat and they're shooting above their heads, maybe Marvin's shooting a little bit below. I mean, obviously the Heat have been playing good D. Um, but to see what he's been doing here, I mean, especially after the year he had from three, I think he was he was pushing 40 on three-pointers, if uh, 40% on three-pointers if he wasn't just at 40. Um, but, you know, you got to imagine that he's not going to do that the whole time. There were a bunch of misses, I think, that got attributed to him when there was that weird series where I think they missed – eight shots at the basket when they were trying to play, trying to play volleyball there a little bit. So I would expect him to kind of bounce back here, especially with Nick out. You want to look to him uh, for a little bit more offense. Uh, Jeremy, I mean, he got to the rim a good amount. He's getting fouled uh, in one stretch, I believe, in the second quarter there. But, I mean, the defense is going to be an issue with him. It's kind of uh, something he struggled with his whole career. And when you have a guy like Wade uh, going against him, I don't think most people are going to be able to stop him, but I, I especially don't think Jeremy is uh, well-equipped to kind of keep him out of the paint. So some uh, bouncing back there, but, you know, and at the same time, I think some of these guys, they are where they are. And maybe uh, a guy like Eric Spolstra, some of the superstars they have on Miami are kind of able to take advantage of it. We're joined by Justin Verrio, NBA writer for ESPN.com. Before this season, I mean, excuse me, before this series, Courtney Lee, I'm in the locker room, he, you could just see that, he embraced the challenge of being able to guard Dwayne Wade, but through two games, uh, I would say it hadn't been in Lee's favor. What has Wade been able to do to, to counter Courtney's defense? Uh, you know, it's kind of we've seen some vintage D Wade going on here, and I think some guys have uh, in, in the post game pressers and, and in the locker room have kind of spoke to that. Um, I mean, it's funny we were just talking about this in the in the uh, press room last night. I don't think. Wade has hit a three since December, which is, you know, kind of unbelievable considering you think about this guy as one of the more dynamic wings in, in the NBA, maybe in the past decade. Um, obviously, three hasn't been like his game, but to see that uh, in today's modern NBA where everybody's swinging threes, especially the Hornets, uh, it's, it's been really surprising. But uh, you see a little bit more bounce from him. I think what's helping a lot is when you get a guy like him who's uh, he's taken some games off over the past two years uh, as he's kind of aged in the NBA. Uh, I think it has really helped. You have three games in between games one or three days, excuse me, in between games one and two, uh, and you can sort of see the difference. You see the bounce in him, man. I'm looking at his stats right now: 11 for 22. 22 is a lot of shots there, but shooting 50 percent from the floor. I mean, he's getting he's getting some rebounds. He's distributing the ball. He's, he's kind of you know exactly what you would want from a veteran player. Uh, at this point in the season, you know, I think it, I think you don't want to build your team entirely out of, off of older guys. I think you've seen uh, Brooklyn uh, kind of fall to that fate sort of in, in recent history. But, you know, you get some veterans, you get the right guys in there, and, and you give them the time between games and you can see what's happening. I don't know if we would call this a, a game or maybe even a challenge, but we're going to ask you to uh, fill in the blanks. If Charlotte does okay. blank they have a shot at defending home court? Uh, plays defense. <laughs> I like that one. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of what it is. I, I think you would expect the offense uh, to bounce back. And I don't even know if you say bounce back. I mean, they scored 103 points off of nine assists, which is crazy. I know, like, they played through Al Jefferson a lot in the post and – uh, Kemba Walker is really good at, at getting to the rim, but like nine assists. I mean, I think I saw a stat today from Basketball Reference saying their 20 assists uh, over the past two games would be the fewest in two games since 1984, I think, in the playoffs, um, which is crazy. I think, but uh, you know, Steve Clifford has, has been harping on it, and you know, I'm kind of I'm drinking the Kool Aid a little bit. I think it's just been the defense and. Um, I'm watching the game again, and it just doesn't look like they're doing anything particularly bad. It's it's either just, you know, it's kind of a horse race and Miami has the guys, or, you know, eventually a lot of these shots that they're conceding, these going under uh, Goran Dragic, allowing Justice Winslow to get those threes off. I I think that um, I think those are kind of going to go their way. But now, I mean, with Nick's injury, it, it creates a whole other problem to throw in there. And uh, you have to wonder, even if they do get the regression to the mean that I think uh, Steve Clifford is looking for if they really have enough to uh, really kind of ba- counterbalance what's going on there. Last one for you. If Charlotte doesn't blank, Miami will be pulling the brooms out of the closet. <laughs> uh, 
I had some threes. Uh, man, I, it's funny. Like not to, not to say I go and say that uh, their offense is fine, but I don't know. It, when you hit one three, for me, when I see their offense, they, I, they need to have that in order to win. Um, I know Al Jefferson had a lot of success in the paint there against us on Whiteside in that second game. Um, but I, I don't know. I, it just seems like in order for them to be successful, uh, that is one of the things that you look at for, for the team going forward. Uh, I think it's just really indicative of like certain things that they're doing when they're playing. Um, so uh, that would be my answer for that one. Uh, well, you know, I appreciate you taking the time, Justin. Where can people find you on Twitter if they would like to follow you and read your work? Sure. It's uh, just my name, Justin Verrier, V-E-R-R-I-E-R. Well, Justin, it was a pleasure, and it's a nice day outside, man. Make that walk to the epicenter, enjoy your cold one, and just embrace the city of Charlotte. Justin, Justin, uh, our Justin will be at Tin Roof. He'll be wearing a re- uh, a carnation uh, attached to his uh, shirt. So if you wanna if you wanna find him, no, no chance. I, I don't even dress like that, my man. No chance. No chance. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Interesting things there from from Justin Verrier, and I want to I want to address a, a couple of them and, and and my thoughts on them. First, I think uh, there there were a lot of complaints about what happened with Jaja hitting the threes, and then Justice Winslow he knocked down a three and knocked down a couple of other what you would consider you know perimeter shots from a guy in Winslow that you don't expect to shoot at all. And there's a, there's a saying that goes in the NBA: um, you guard guys to where they can shoot. So I think Winslow's like 26% from three. So you're not going to guard him aggressively at the three-point line. Drogic is an under 35% three-point shooter. So I even tweeted before Drogic hit those three straight three-pointers, I said, you go, if you're Kimba, you go under the Drogic screen, pick and roll, until he hits two. And then he hit two, and I said, okay, stop going under. And then, of course, he hits three. <laughs> so, you know, it was just one of those games, I think, where uh, Miami and uh, I believe I have the stats. Through, uh, yeah, through the first two games of any playoff series in any round, the Heat have the highest effective field goal percentage, 63.4% ever. That's nuts. And they're, they are, I mean, anyone, if you asked anyone who covered the Heat prior to this series, hey, are the Heat a three-point shooting team? No, absolutely not. No chance. You know, even Heat writers and bloggers are calling their play over the past two games unsustainable. Joe Johnson, who plays on the Miami Heat, called it fool's gold. And, and you saw it a little bit in the second half. The Hornets held the Heat to 40%. I mean, if we're looking for positives, they held them to 43 points in the second half. They they, they held them to 40% shooting, and now the Heat have to go. And I just don't know if you can replicate this kind of shooting unless you have elite shooting talent on the road. I think they fed off an unusually raucous Miami Heat crowd, you know, for the playoffs. I, I think they, they felt confident going in and they just built off that and built off that. But, you know, the Hornets, I thought, had more fight, more aggressiveness early on and uh, the, the Heat just overwhelmed them with the shooting. Also, Justin brought up the nine assists and 38 makes, and I had a, a couple of people on Twitter commenting about how the Hornets aren't moving the ball, and, and that means they don't have a good offense. That's To me, that's you have to watch the game. Like I, You can read a box score and say, okay, nine assists, 38 makes, ooh, that's no good. But you have to understand, what I said about the Heat taking away the three-point shot, that means Kimba has a wide-open lane. You want him to take that open opportunity and not pass the ball and score the basket. You want Al Jefferson when he gets one-on-one opportunities versus Hassan Whiteside, who can't guard him, versus Stoudemire, who can guard him a little better but really can't guard Al Jefferson when he's in the zone. Those are high-quality, Those are high quality, efficient looks. That's good offense. It might not be the offense that fans are used to seeing from the Charlotte Hornets, but that doesn't make it bad offense, Justin. Not at all. And like there are the positive of Kimba and Lynn getting in the lane. You know, Al Jefferson is going to work. T- to be honest, Charlotte just needs some shots to fall. That that's just, they need they need a little space because there were open looks and yeah, they didn't. They, they, didn't they just need some shots to fall because Miami's like, hey, you guys, like, there's no, you guys aren't making any shots. Like, you know, so you know we're we're gonna do what we're gonna do and, and just pounce on guys. And there there are some positive. And I will tell you, man, Al looked really good. 
He looked really yep. good on the block. I said, man, it's 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 odd to think Kimba had 29, Al had 25, and they lost. If I would have told you, hey, DB, I have a prediction. Hey, buddy. Big Al's going to go for go for 25. Kimba's going to go for 29. Do you think the Hornets win? Nine times out of 10, I think you're going to say, yeah, I'll take the chance that Charlotte wins. And they lost. They're, they're just going to need some guys to step up. Miami's been, these dudes can't miss if they wanted to. And it's just been a little odd. But game three, you're right. They can't. Miami can't continue to just be this hot. Marvin is not gonna go one for like what seventeen? I think over two games, like and, things are and, gonna get a little look, better. My, you know, Miami did what they needed to do, which is feed off their home crowd and, and win their home court. Defend now, home court. the Hornets, who have played extremely well at home all season, have to now shake off whatever happened in Miami and go and do the same thing. They're capable of it. The Batum loss hurts. I think in the short term they can survive it. I don't think in the long term in this series that they can survive the Batum loss. And I say that because, look, he shot, what, 3 of 11 before getting hurt. He was struggling in this series. But we've seen Batum so many times struggle for three quarters and then in the fourth quarter turn it on. And we've also seen him be able to hit tough shots in in big game moments. And you need that kind of guy. And they have one in Kimball Walker and occasionally one in Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin's been able to turn on that big game moment type of of game. But, you know, he, he went two of seven last night. He's also kind of a little bit streaky in that regard. So I think when you lose Batum, you lose that second surefire thing when it comes to big game moments, hitting shots, ISO opportunities, because that's what D. Wade has meant. You, you look past the 28 points and eight assists. But you look at those opportunities that D-Wade got late in that game. ISO got all alone on the elbow against Courtney Lee. And God love Courtney Lee. I mean, he did did everything he could. But look, when D-Wade hits that turnaround, and and again, the knees are fresh. This isn't like years past when he he looked a little worn down or he had injuries. This guy's fresh. He was off two days rest. and, And Wade is an all-star. Wade is a, a superstar. He's a top five shooting guard all time. So, I mean, you know. You know, I don't think Courtney Lee thought he was going to be this good, to be honest. I don't because, what do they say? The old cliche, the only way to be great defense with better offense. Courtney Lee is doing everything out there. Like, he, he's trying. It's not like he's out there pulling the James Harden, though I do love James Harden. He's, he's really trying, and, and Wade and is he, just taking his lunch. And, and Courtney Lee also, I thought, offensively took advantage of what the Heat are throwing at them defensively, there there is wide open space for that mid range jumper, and and you know I thought Lee did a great job of of just again just trying to survive in certain moments of that game. Lee stepped up and and knocked down a few jump shots, but I think what's most surprising to me about this entire series, Justin, is that you have Nick Batum, uh, Marvin Williams, Courtney Lee, and Jeremy Lin all playing for contracts. And they certainly played well all regular season. But I think you've seen time after time in the NBA, guys have great playoff series or or multiple series and turn that into big bucks. And, you know, I think that there are going to be some questions for all four of these guys moving forward if if the series continues like it, it is. I think there will be some serious questions going into free agency. Is Batum fragile? Can Marvin step up in the big moments? Uh, can Courtney Lee guard guys one-on-one? And, 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 and it goes on down the line. And so... Yeah, you know, I, I just think it's I think it's surprising that they they weren't able that they haven't to this point been able to step up with big with one big performance. It hasn't been beneficial for those guys, but would you say it's, it's kind of helped Charlotte if they've been thinking about you know keeping Marvin, Batum, Lynn because Lynn Lynn had a great yeah, year. I mean, you don't know that the market is going to be so strange. You you just can't know for sure how this is going to affect each of their uh, individual stocks, but. You know, <laughs> it's tough to say. It's tough as a fan to look at it and go, "Well, I'm glad they're playing terrible yeah, because we get a cheaper discount." <laughs> yeah, you don't want to think like that, but it certainly is. I, I think something to talk about it as it moves forward, and you just hope again that these guys get back into Charlotte, they get back into a building they're comfortable with, and and things start to happen. And if there's any game, they do it. It's usually game three. And Justin uh, Varier brought up that these two Justins, it's it's knocking me off it's my clutch. game. Um, 
Justin brought up that that possession that Marvin and Cody they could knock it in. They were just right there. To, what was that top of the third, right? Yeah, to, right at the top of the third volleyball possession. By the way, coming up, I I'll tell you when the Hornets lost the game. It wasn't in the second quarter. It wasn't that forty three point second quarter that Miami put up. Was it when Kimba was out there? I'll tell you. I, I'm going to tell you, but we, we've got to get to Audi here in a oh, moment. We got big time on the line. Yeah, we got big time Audi Joseph big on time. the line. I like that nickname for him. Uh, but I, I think that uh, I'll have that coming up, but um, some positives to take away from this game for sure. They were able to get Hassan Whiteside in early foul trouble. They'll have to do that again in game three. Uh, and uh, injury. The injury to Batum, it, it's terrible. I think, again, in the long term of this series, it it's going to hurt them. But I think in the short term, it does force an adjustment. It does force someone to step up. And I think that could be almost, uh, it could almost unclog the pipe a little bit for somebody. this rotate. Next some, man up. Yes, yeah, somebody has to do something. And we see this time and time again in the NBA playoffs. But Let's pop back out to the Hive Talk Live hotline standing by, uh, again, a favorite of the show. Big, he's got a new nickname now, Big courtesy time. of uh, Justin Justin Thomas. Big time, Adi Joseph, deputy editor for SportingNews.com. Adi, what do you think of your new nickname? Uh, Justin's given me that one for a while. Every time oh, what? Season, so. I, I, I see. see. A bunch of, bunch of insidery locker room types. I don't, I'm not, I guess I wasn't invited to the Applebee's meeting of locker room, <laughs> Charlotte Hornets locker room guys. You know, you know, I like Applebee's too. You can't invite me. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Uh, uh we, we, uh, we do, uh, Don Bosco, what's it called? Uh, Del Frisco's. Del yeah. Frisco's, hey, yeah. We're, we're fancy. He, he tried to lowball us with Applebee's. Official, official steakhouse of the Hornets. Yeah, right? yeah. We're official, I think, yeah, season ticket holders. They always give the Del Frisco's uh, coupons, yeah. coupons away. <laughs> All right, Adi, I want to ask you about this. We talked a little bit about the, the Steve Clifford comments post-game, game two, with Justin Verrier earlier, but I want to get your thoughts as well as somebody who's uh, been around uh, head coach Steve Clifford all season. First, I want to play the comments themselves. Uh, uh, let's see. Yes, here we go. So Steve Clifford, after the game, he was asked about adjustments. He seemed a smidge frustrated with the line of questioning, and it has a lot of people talking, a lot of headlines that read, Steve Clifford politely tells writers they have no idea what they are talking about. We have the the question in question asked by ESPN's Tom Habistro and a portion of Steve Clifford's response. It's really good. It's a little long, but hang with us. Here we go. Coach, it sounds like to me you're dealing with process versus results. Is that you're trying to stick to the game plan and it's not getting the results you want? How as a coach, when you only have two games, you could potentially be out in two games when your back's up against the wall like this. How do you not? say, okay, maybe we need to switch things up when they're scoring 115 points. Well, the, you have to look at how they're scoring. I mean, it's not, you know, like game one. The majority of the problems in game one were basic principles versus coverages. Like tonight was the same thing. It's one-on-one penetration, not allowing the ball middle. It's not like, they, you know, like, for instance, they're not running sets that we're having trouble with coverages on. I, and not to be disrespectful, but you guys, you, you watch these games, you just come up like something's got to change. Or sometimes you just have to do the basic things better, which is what basketball is. I mean, it kills me this. Jeff Van Gundy always used to say, writers love to say they made an adjustment. Usually the adjustment is some guy that went one for eight, went six for eight. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not joking, but you sit here. If you're not watching the film, no disrespect, you have no idea what should happen. This knee-jerk thing about something's going to change. You know, everybody's asking me for two days, what about starting now so your offense is better? Our offense was 1.07 points per possession. You guys are looking at 91 points. You're wrong. Sorry. So what I'm going to do is I know my team. I watch my team closer than anybody. I'm going to look and figure out what the problems are. Okay, if we need to make an adjustment, we'll make it. It's not all these great ideas or things that have to change or that this plan is terribly wrong. Sometimes the other team just makes shots, okay? All right. All right, Adi Joseph from Sporting News joining us here. Adi, those were strong comments by Steve Clifford. He, he did say this afternoon that he wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but what do you think about those comments? Uh, they're very like Steve in that, you know, I, I don't know that there's a better coach in the league that he wants you to see where he's coming from. And, 
you know, I could see how when, when Tom, who's a very smart man, uh, watched, you know, when the way he phrased it, Steve might have thought Tom was, was sort of saying, what are you doing? I don't think that was what Tom's intention was. And, you know, after a rough loss like that, co- coaches tend to be a little more on edge. Um, with that said, you know, what, what I think Steve was saying was, look, we have gotten blown out twice. Yet you look at what they're doing. This is a team that normally is not that great at shooting three pointers, and they're shooting like sixty percent from three or fifty fifty percent from three. They're shooting fifty eight percent from the field. Those are not normal things. And Steve is trying to say, look, we're making them take a lot of the shots we want. We're not consistently giving up wide open layups to Dwayne Wade. It's they're beating us with shots that we thought they wouldn't beat us with, you know, by through our own scouting reports. Now, you know there's always the possibility that the, the scouting reports were flawed or that they were giving up shots that the heat simply normally don't get and the heat can make and they just didn't realize it. But, you know, I think in general, what Steve was trying to do was explain his process, which is what he does a lot in interviews. And he might've been a little testy considering this team had just fallen behind two nothing in the first round. I think the mistake that that Tom Havistro and I, I love reading his stuff. I've never uh, met him in person, but but just from reading his stuff, yeah, I agree. He's a smart guy. But I think the mistake he made was not to preface it with, hey, "Steve, I know you haven't watched the tape yet," because that's local guys seem to know. Like if you say that, you get a little bit of a buffer with with Steve. That you know, I know you haven't watched the tape yet, but here's my question. Watches his <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I, I, I I'll be honest. I I ask a lot of questions where I'm probing and I have gotten some slight guff from him and he always does drop the, I haven't watched the tape yet line, but you know, he genuinely, I think he wants us to understand and he knows who he may not know Tom specifically, but he knows what a smart question is and what a bad question is. And he gives mm-hmm. different kinds of answers. The other day he dropped uh, a line when, when in the last regular season playoff game, he dropped a line when I asked him who on his team could, could play isolation basketball the way the playoffs tend to, to focus around, you know, he dropped a line about synergy sports. And this is a guy who is very, very smart and adept at analyzing the game in a wide variety of ways. And he's just trying to let us in a little bit with his interview. It's again, after a twin, after another bad loss in the playoffs, it's not exactly going to be his favorite time to get questions about, you know, a, a tape he hasn't watched, which is, I think, where where he was coming from with a little bit of the, maybe more edge than he normally shows. I think I think that Coach Clifford is such a, a an incredibly smart guy when it comes to the game of basketball, but also complex because you know he comes from the Van Gundy tree, and Jeff Van Gundy famously not a big fan of stats, but it seems like Clifford balances. The, the anecdotal knowledge of the game of basketball, the the eye test kind of stuff, with the ability to embrace you know points per possession and, and different things to tell you the, the 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 behind the scenes story of what you're watching on television. So I think I think it's interesting. Yeah, I mean I, I'm going to say this. I think a lot of the things. Look, Jeff Van Gundy may not be a fan. I'm positive he does not like all-encompassing stats. I don't believe any coach likes all-encompassing stats. I don't think any coach wants to know what their players' win shares or PER are because they don't see any value in that. But I can assure you that, you know, a lot of coaches, not all, but a lot of the coaches who are portrayed as being anti-stats because they don't like those sort of evaluative measures, almost all of them will look at the scouting-style stats, such as pace, such as, you know, percentages shot from different zones on the court, those types of things. You know, we, we, we try to paint coaches as being either pro stats or anti stats. Almost no coaches have strong statistical backgrounds. Almost no coaches will understand the math on, on the level that Tom Pavistro does, but that's not their job. Their job is to learn which ones they can actually apply to teaching their players. And you don't want to boggle your, your players' minds in, in-game situations with, oh, Luol Deng shoots 48% from there, but he's down to 43% if I make him take two steps to the right. No, you just want to say force him right. And, and those are the kind of stats that coaches, including Steve Clifford, are looking for, and including Jeff Van Gundy. 
when he rallies on air, it's more about trying to evaluate players' entire games through single numbers. Here with Adi Joseph, deputy editor at Sporting News. Adi, I want to go back to Haberstroh's question because I think the question itself was a fair question that – you know, I think that Steve Clifford, and, and in fact, he said that the day previous that the offense is is generally the same, but defensively you have to do things in the playoffs that you have to you change things up a little bit according to what opponent you're playing. And it's clear to me that they're more aggressive on some of these side pick and rolls. And 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 his question was a little bit about results versus process. You know, is that a fair question to say, look, you know, you, you, you've you tried something a little different on defense. Uh, is this a results issue because of that change? Or is this just one of these things where Miami is hot shooting? Is that a fair question to ask? I think it's absolutely a fair question. Um, I, I mean, even Steve, you know, in, in shooting down the question, he brought up how well the offense was playing. The question wasn't about the offense. Um, but you know it was uh and if anyone knows what the pace adjusted stats are it's tom so you know the better the 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 fundamental truth is steve told us over and over again he was very worried about the combination of Dwayne wade and joe johnson and how absurdly good both of them can be in isolation situations he he planned a lot of his defense for that and he has instead been burned inside by Hassan Whiteside. And he, in game one in particular, was burned by Luol Deng. And, you know, even Wade has been scoring off non-isolation plays. So I, I, my guess is that Steve Clifford in, on Saturday night is going to be playing a slightly, slightly modified defense of some sort. He just didn't know what those modifications were yet. And I can understand that. And, you know, it's a tough position to interview anyone immediately following a very, very important loss. And that needs to be factored in in all these these conversations. Looking ahead to Game 3 in Charlotte, Adi, what, if anything, do you think will be working in the Charlotte Hornets' favor at home? I think the home court advantage is a pretty big one. And, uh, you know, that's not to – I mean, it's the obvious change between Games 2 and Game 3 that the court changes and the city changes. Uh, but they're, you know, they, they won, they went 30 and 11 at home. They were one of the, they're the sixth best home team in the league. They were better than the Clippers. They were better than the heat. They were better than the Hawks um, and a bunch of other good teams. When, when, when it comes down to it, this team plays like a different team in Charlotte. And uh, in particular, I think you're going to see just a lot of, kind of pissed off players looking for some revenge. Now, I'm not saying that they'll necessarily have the solutions because when a team is shooting the way that the Heat are, you're just not going to beat them. But a, a lot changes with home court advantage, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't think you should undersell that, you know, particularly for a team with as massive splits as the Hornets had. I think that's an interesting point that you bring up, Adi, the, the, the pissed off player aspect because – this this is a team that's generally viewed as even keel, but they do have a couple of emotional guys. One of those guys being Marvin Williams, but Marvin struggled so mightily with his shot and, and and his confidence in Miami. How much of a factor do you think that was that their emotional center uh, was sort of knocked off his center of gravity? No, uh, I don't. I mean. Marvin's Marvin's emotional side is a very unique one. I mean, in, in as a person, he's exceedingly even keel. The guy is the most relaxed, easy to talk to person in the whole locker room, and, and one of them, one of the most relaxed, easy to talk to people in the NBA. But but on the court, on the court, he does. Yeah, on the court, he's a very different person. So I don't know that you know his leadership necessarily changed as his play did. But I think Marvin is a very um, – he puts a lot on himself. Even though, you know, on paper he might only be the fourth biggest, fifth biggest name on this team, I think he knows that he is an incredibly important player to what everything happens here, and he wants that responsibility. So I know he's going to be very hard on himself. He's also very smart. He's not – I don't think he's going to try to bite off more than he can, more than he can chew. But – I would look. I would look more toward if anyone can play with an edge and anyone can rise to the occasion on this team. The guy that does that is Kemba Walker, and 
we have seen what Kemba does at home. He's a much better player at home. And we have seen what he does when he has sort of a chip on his shoulder, when, when there is a little adversity. And, and uh, he can be quite dazzling when, when, he, when he puts his mind to it and, and, and uh, feels the pressure. And I, I'm sure he does right now. I'm sure he's, he's spent the last couple of days thinking a lot about Game 3. We got the news before the show on Nick Batum expected to miss the remainder of the series versus Heat. Adi, how does his absence affect the Hornets in the short term? Well, it makes for a very interesting matchup. Um, I assume Jeremy Lin will, will slide into the starting lineup. And they've played pretty well when Jeremy's been in the starting lineup, whether it's for Batum or for, for Kemba. Um, the play hasn't dropped off, I'll say that. Uh, you know, as a result, they're going to be a little bit smaller, but that might help. Uh, they, they, they won't have the ideal matchup for Joe Johnson, but you know the way the other guys have been playing on the Heat, maybe the best thing for the Hornets is to make Joe Johnson beat them. And that's something that Clifford did not want to do coming into this series. But again, <laughs> assuming that we're making some adjustments, particularly with Nick out, you know, if, if, they, if they can force ISO Joe into the, into the way that they're into the Heat's game plan, that, that could potentially, you know, bog down what's been a really successful Heat offense and, and, and play into the Hornets' favor. So losing Nick is a huge blow. Let's not underscore that. But they've played well in the few games that he's missed. And right now, um, after the first two games, change is probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff there. Big time. Adi Joseph joining us on the Hive Talk Live Hotline. Thank you so much. Listen, we, we're going to do, whenever this thing ends, we're going to do a recap show, and we, we definitely want you to be a part of that. All right. All right, until then. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. Yeah, bye. Okay. I, I loved what Adi had to say there, and I have to – I love the aspect that – so he – Steve Clifford makes the adjustment, blitzes the side pick and rolls, gets aggressive, even on the above break pick and rolls in the first game, backed off that a little bit in the second game, but that was all to limit what Dwayne Wade and, and Iso Joe, Joe Johnson, gives uh, the the Miami Heat. And it it backfired. But here's the thing, Justin. you In the NBA, guys are too quick, too strong. It's impossible to guard all five guys, one-on-one, okay? So in the NBA, you have to pick your poison. You have to pick, okay, what do I want to take away? What's most likely to beat me? What, okay, I'm going to take that away. It's going to leave this open, just like the Miami Heat. They're taking away the three-point shot. It's leaving Kimball Walker and, and Al Jefferson opportunities at the lane. And, you know, they went with a strategy, and they made the Heat shoot three-pointers and move the ball, two things that they haven't done particularly well all season, and the Heat just stepped up and did it. And no one wants to hear that. That's nihilistic a little bit. That's like, you know, what, what really matters? If you, can't, if you can't take the best thing away and still beat a team, then what the hell are we doing here? But sometimes, and I think this is what Clifford was alluding to at the end of that statement that we played, you know, you do what you can. You hope they miss. They didn't. When and we, that's basketball. And we know they're not going to shoot that well. And one thing I, um, what played well for Miami was Josh Richardson and Winslow. This is their first time on the road. Time Warner Cable Arena is going to be rocking. You know, I feel like those guys are going to take a step back. They're not going to shoot that great, so that'd be the second bullet point. And the third one, Kim was going to get a few fouls. I, he really took a beating and was really frustrated about not getting the calls. And I'll give you the last four, the last point. Shots are going to fall. So I, I feel like if there's – I didn't see any positivity, to be honest, with Batum being out. I didn't. But if there's one game that they can rally and put everything they have into something. And the crowd, listen, the crowd at Time Saturday. Warner Cable Arena is going to be rocking. The promotions from the Hornet side are good. And, and you know the the fans will come out for playoff games. It's going to be, uh, and the atmosphere in the arena was getting better and better with each of those final couple of games. I ran into a guy today, um, and I was like, "Well, I don't know if I'd be able to do this. I have the game on Saturday." He was like, "Oh, I'll be there too." I was like, "Oh, well, I know you. You probably have pretty good seats." He said, "Man, don't even matter. I'm just glad to be in the building." 
people, people don't see, care. Yeah, people want to see playoff teams. They want to be there. They, they want to be, be there. Exactly. And so again, the Hornets get this thing tied up two two. Then then anything <sighs> goes. You you just don't know. You have to wait and see what's going to happen with this Batum injury. Am I? Does it encourage me that they could win a seven game series now? I don't know. But it's tougher. But it's it definitely makes it a, a, a lot tougher. Just think. Everybody has said, well, not everybody. The Hornets have, they've just kind of said, you know, if somebody went down, it was always next man up, next man up. Same as the Panthers, next man up, next man up. You have Spencer Haas. Um, it'd be a great time for him to, you know, do something. Jeremy Lamb, Troy Daniels. One of the two has to be able to make shots. If you can just get two of the unlikely heroes to step up, you'll be able to, you will be able to put the brooms away at least for one game and, and get you a dub and feel good about it. They haven't won a, haven't won a playoff game in 14 years. Yeah, I, I think that would inspire a lot of confidence in the city of Charlotte, the fans of the Hornets, and the Hornets themselves if they can get that off their back and, and win that first game in, in what, uh, 13 games. Lynn has, been, lost Lynn has been really good in Charlotte in big games. And when Lynn starts. you know, If, he, if Lynn does start, he when he starts, he steps up in a big Cleveland way. Cleveland and the Spurs. So... You know, he'll, he'll have, his number will be called. Uh, well, I promised that I would reveal when I thought exactly the Hornets lost Game Two, and I'll tie this into Game Three as well. I didn't I wish think we could it do was a drum roll. I didn't think it was in the second quarter when the the Heat scored forty three points on eighty four percent shooting. After going back and rewatching, I actually think they dropped this game in the middle of the third quarter, seven minutes to go. They sub Al Jefferson back into the game. Jefferson had dominated the first half, eight of 11, 16 points. The Hornets had the lead down to eight. But in the third quarter, he doesn't get a look to shoot the ball until four minutes left to go. And by that time, the Heat had the lead back up to 15. Got to rock the high hand. I think that's the tie in. Batum took three straight odd elbow jumpers, and uh, Akimba uh, had a few go begging. I think that if the Hornets get whatever adjustment is made because of the Batum injury, you have to, in the third quarter, recognize what is being successful for you and take advantage of that. If the Heat decide to back their defense, because the Heat could change their defense and start to back off and try to take away Jefferson, you have to have that awareness offensively and defensively and, and figure out, okay, are they changing up their game? If they are, now what do we do? That's going to be the most interesting thing to watch in Game 3. And we have a couple minutes left. I do want to get to this one last thing. It's an NBA All-Star game or All-Star weekend update. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was on Mike and Mike this morning. And the 2017 NBA All-Star game slated to take place in Charlotte, for now, was up for discussion. Adam Silver said the NBA has been clear that if the status quo, that being the controversial House Bill 2 in North Carolina remains in place, the All-Star game would have to be moved, have to be moved, but reiterated that he wants to work to get the controversial House Bill 2 changed and hopefully keep the weekend in Charlotte. So I think there's been some confusion because of the press conference that Silver gave. Uh, there's been some confusion about, you know, would, would Silver take away the game? Was that on the table? Was there an ultimatum? Was there a date? And I, I think I, Silver hasn't done a great job of being clear but I think this cleared it up for sure that, look, if the law doesn't change to the NBA satisfaction, they will take away the game. But the NBA, Adam Silver, wants to continue to work through this situation and see if they can affect change. Because once they pull the game, or even really once they have that ultimatum and say, if you don't change this law in two weeks, we're taking the game away. Once they do that, all their leverage goes away. But the threat of the game moving is more powerful at this time than taking the game away or taking the weekend away from Charlotte. So we'll keep monitoring the situation. I, I, I hope that everything gets resolved to the Me satisfaction of the NBA, right. to the satisfaction of uh, the, the Charlotte Hornets and, and, and fans. I, I, you know, that's all. I've that's been all looking forward to this for years. I, I would be devastated. I'm. I'm just hoping and praying that. But the NBA, can. look, I, I, the NBA has to stand by their principles. I agree. You, you have because I think they've done such a, a great job of taking uh, firm stands that match the the majority of people that enjoy their product. Unlike the NFL, the NFL don't care. What, yeah, I think <laughs> the NBA has has staked a claim in this whole NBA cares and. 
you know, I, I for the health of the league and for the health of the game of basketball, I think it's important they that they do keep it, doing that. Somebody will call them out. And you you don't want that to happen. And plus, it's Michael Jordan. You know they don't want to take it from Mike. They just want a little cooperation. <laughs> I'm sure he's playing a factor in this. Come he's on, he's not going to be vocal. He's not going to be vocal about it. That's never been his style. Oh, but don't worry. He, certainly, <laughs> he's back there. Certainly, he, he's playing some kind of factor in it. All right, that'll do it for us Hornets fans. Thanks so much to our guests, Justin Verrier and Adi Joseph. I would play some Prince music in, in honor of his passing. Very sad to hear that news, but he was adamant about his intellectual property rights, so I think it would be best to honor him if I just told you, go to iTunes and buy a song that you've you've never heard before from Prince. Just buy $0.99, cent, $1.29, whatever it costs. Go buy a Prince song that you've never heard before, and that would be uh, the, the best way to honor him. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hive Talk Live for live game updates and more Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets. Make sure to listen to ESPN 7:30 a.m. anytime, anywhere at ESPN730.com or on the ESPN Radio app. For Justin, I'm Doug, and producer Katie saying, "Stay bought in, stay believing. It's time to defend the hive. All hail the teal and purple."